This morning we have um, as our reading one of my favourite and probably one of the best known parables that Jesus told. It's known as the prodigal son. But I think it should be called the tale of two brothers or maybe the unbelievably generous father. It, it hardly needs introduction, does it? It has inspired artists like the painting on the screen this morning. But it has also left a mark on society. How often do we hear the phrase, ah, the prodigal son? Or the fattened calf when we are going to have a big party? Well, we all know the story And we know it's about God welcoming back those who show the first signs of repentance, which is quite right. But it goes much deeper than that. Let's look at the two brothers. Behind this story is a story of great shame. Firstly, the younger son. When he asks for his inheritance, it is like he is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. That way, I will get what's mine. The father, to satisfy his son's request, would have had to have divided his property between the two sons. The younger one converts it to cash. That would mean that someone else now owns part of the father's land. Again, this would have brought enormous amount of shame to the family. There are many cultures even today where this just wouldn't happen. And they find this point, the willingness of the father to give up his possession to the son, quite incredible. We also miss another point because of our culture here in Australia. We are used to our children leaving home and going off into the world. But again, this would have brought great shame to the family The youngest son is abandoning his responsibilities to to the family and in particular to his father. But the shame and degradation doesn't finish there. Jesus then says that when the money runs out, he takes to feeding, even feeding with pigs. This is paramount to a new all-time low. One thing we should know about Jewish people, we even know it today, that they'll have nothing to do with pigs. They are seen to be unclean. But the most remarkable part of this story is the father. Most young people think their parents are embarrassing. Pretty sure that's no surprise to us that our parents, our children have probably told us that we're embarrassing. But what the, father's, what the father does on the return of the son is unprecedented in Jewish culture. Jewish men did not run. Firstly, their clothing didn't allow it easily. But it was not, it was not what one would do in polite company. The father, you see, wearing the robes, would have had to hitch them up between his legs and around his waist, exposing his legs, again, not done, and then runs 
to meet the son. But there is a deeper story within that story that I want you to keep in mind. Remember, remember that Israel had been saved from Egypt through the Exodus and brought to the promised land. Years later, after not heeding the call of God's people, they are sent into exile in Babylon. And despite their return, many Jewish people of the time still felt they were living in exile under the rule of the pagans, the Romans. They were still looking for a new exodus, one that would liberate them. So this far into, into the story, those listening were bound to hear it as a reference to the hope of Israel. Listen to the language in the parable. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. From the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37, the notion of resurrection had been used as picture language for the return from exile. But what about the older son? He could see nothing good in what was happening. But he has what some might say the most important role in the story. This is for Jesus the response of those who passed judgment on him, who were so busy pointing out the wickedness of the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus had dared to eat with whilst he was still preaching the kingdom of God. They were so focused on who Jesus was hanging out with that they couldn't see people repenting of their sins and returning to God. They couldn't see the lame being healed, the deaf hearing, the blind seeing. People's lives were being transformed right in front of them, physically, emotionally, morally and spiritually. And all they could see was who they were. This is never more obvious than in the language that is used at the return of the younger son. The servants say to the older brother, your brother. But when the older son speaks to the father, he says, this son of yours. Hardly a close relationship. But the father gently reminds him the truth. This is your brother. But here is the pivotal point of the story. The older son complains to the father, I've been slaving for you. But if you think back to verse 12, all the father owned was divided between the two brothers. What the older brother had been slaving for was in fact his own. The father and the son had been working more or less in partnership. But all that the, all that the father owned was now the older son's. And that may be part of the problem as well. Just think that as the youngest son who had spent everything of his inheritance, everything now, the best robe, the ring, the sandals, the feast of the fattened calf, were coming out of the oldest son's inheritance. But Jesus uses a phrase here that was common among the Pharisees. 
I have never disobeyed your command, which ties the grumbling son to them. Remember that this parable is the third in a series of parables that Jesus used. Jesus had already pointed out in verse 7 that there would be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. This part of the parable only reveals the grumbling older son, but it shows uh, shows him as just as disrespectful as the younger son. He refuses to go into the house. He then argues with the father in front of all those present. But the father is and continues to be generous to the older son. There is a sense here that Jesus is trying to point out to the Pharisees that even though they don't respect that God's generosity is still open to them, they are welcome to the party. He is pleading with them to come in. What the story reminds us is of what God is doing through Jesus. We can see kingdom work. We can see that the people of Israel were being ushered back from exile. Tax collectors, outcasts and sinners were being welcomed by Jesus and therefore by God. But it always seems to be those around, even today, who will grumble and complain about being overlooked or missed out. And they've, of course, done nothing wrong. Just like when the people of Israel returned from exile in Babylon, there were plenty of people that chose to stay in exile. Like I said at the start, this is one of the great stories Jesus told. But it sort of leaves you hanging, doesn't it? If this was a TV show, this was a TV episode, you'd expect to appear on the screen to be continued. You could imagine the promos for the following week, couldn't you? You know, how will the younger brother go on? Were there special arrangements made for him? Will, Will their two brothers ever be able to put their differences between them? Well, storytellers love to leave stories open. They do it so that you have to think through the story yourself. Things like, where do I fit into the story? What does the story say about us personally and as a church? Which role do I see myself and the church being most comfortable? How can I become a church? Sorry, how can we become a church where resurrection of others happens? How can we celebrate what God is doing that not only attracts younger brothers, but also engages with older brothers. I want to finish with us looking at this painting. Fortunately, it's not really clear, but for those of you that have got the internet at home, have a look at this painting. You see, I love this painting. Not because, heaven forbid, that I'm some sort of art expert, I can assure you. I'm a long way from that. I like it because the way the scene is portrayed... I think Rembrandt has uh, captured part of the essence of the parable. If you look closely 
really closely at the hands of the father. The left one is hard and weathered through hard work and through time. The right one, in contrast, looks soft and gentle. The son, kneeling, kneeling at his father's feet, has nothing. But look, look at him, nestled into the father's lap. Finally, you can just make out in the background, in the dark shadows, over the father's left shoulder, in the darkness, watching but refusing to enter this great moment of the father's love. I'm sure that Rembrandt is portraying that as the older brother. Well, it is a beautiful painting. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm hoping that I'm as, as generous and as welcoming as the father. I would like to think that I am in and stay in the father's lap and that I never appear to be in the place of the older son. What about you?